0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 773 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's guest is an adult living with type 1 diabetes who is also a mother. Her child does not have type 1, but does have other autoimmune issues. While you're listening, please remember... That nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice. Um, should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. We have a new sponsor today, so in a moment I will uh, tell you who that is. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series, they begin at episode 210 in your podcast player. You can find them by searching Juicebox Podcast Pro Tip in any of your audio apps, or you can find them at JuiceboxPodcast.com, DiabetesProTip.com, or on the private Facebook group under the Feature tab. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to T1DExchange.org forward slash Juicebox and complete the survey. It will take you fewer than 10 minutes. It is absolutely anonymous and HIPAA compliant. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Athletic Greens, makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because I don't always have the most balanced diet and I needed some nutritional insurance. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. Learn more at my link, athleticgreens.com forward slash The podcast is also sponsored today by InPen. From Medtronic Diabetes, are you using insulin and want some of the features that are offered by an insulin pump, but you don't want a pump? If that's you, you're looking for the InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Get started today at InPenToday.com.
1: Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Sephora.
0: All right, Sephora. I did did get it right before when we were talking. You did. There's something about you. I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic with me when you said yes <laughs> um it's,
1: it's a it's a good guess that i'd be sarcastic but you did get it right
0: <laughs> so sapora not sephora how, pe- how many people hate you with that like they are uh, so many uh, yeah. <laughs> like the
1: makeup store yes that's like what I was the thinking. japanese beer nope neither no, of those
0: not you right um and it's a name you go by right you don't have like a yeah. nickname yeah good for, that's lovely um What's your deal? You have diabetes. You make a baby that has diabetes.
1: I have diabetes. I made a baby that does not have diabetes
0: yet, as far as I know. How old were you when you were diagnosed?
1: I was diagnosed a month shy of my second birthday in
0: 1981. Wow. Wow, wow, Mm -hmm. wow. How about that? Um, Mm -hmm. That's young. It's young, and I'm old, (laughs) and that is real. (laughs) So i I spoke with somebody yesterday who's had diabetes for 45 years, um, but was my age, and the entire conversation made me feel old every time something mm. came up, or when they understood my references, which I even found bothersome for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, we're still getting that microphone touching something. Are you sorry? No, don't be sorry. Are you talking with your hands? I'm, I'm
1: breathing. I'm going to stop. breathing. Would you
0: stop okay. breathing, please?
1: Sorry, my bad.
0: <laughs> I made I made a person record in a closet yesterday. <laughs> so so they come on and i immediately i'm like are you in a room without carpeting <laughs> and they go how do you know that <laughs> and, I, and i said i i can't i can't do it with you in here it's all echoey and she's like i could go in the closet and i was like fine that's do it. perfect so she sat on a stepladder with her laptop on a piece of luggage and did Love the, it yeah it was, it was very nice of her. okay so okay let me break this apart in my head so i understand so 81 was that right yeah and it's 2021 now. It's 2022 where I am. Is it really 2022 now? So let's go mm-hmm. 91, 2001, 2011, 2021. Mm-hmm. You've had diabetes for 41 years.
1: That's right. It'll be 41 in June.
0: And you're calling 43 old. Yes. All right. Well, we'll see about that. I can out-old you in a second. Um, how old is your child or children?
1: Uh, she's 11. She's 11.
0: Okay. And, uh, is there any other type one in your family?
1: Uh, I was going to say no, except I have a a cousin of my mother's who died in his teenage years with type one. And this was like, you know, early 1900s. That was all I got
0: a born before insulin. Yeah. Oh, that's just, that's really a shame. Um, how about other autoimmune stuff in your family?
1: Oh yeah. Um, so my daughter has alopecia, so she's has no hair. Um, so every time somebody comments on my hair, my hair is brushing against the microphone. Can you move your hair from the microphone? I think, you know, that is a thing for me and it's not for her. So my, my daughter has alopecia. My mother has alopecia. We've got autoimmune thyroid, um, a couple of other autoimmune things in my uh, niece and nephew.
0: Hmm. Wow. How is that alopecia something you're born with?
1: no, it's, I mean, it's, It sort of is activated in a similar way to the diabetes. So she had a full head of hair, curly, awesome. Like it was one of the first things people noticed about her before she opened her mouth, which was the second and loudest thing people noticed about her. And, um, and then it all started falling out when she was like three and a half.
0: So you think she just had an illness or something and her autoimmune response? Yeah. Alopecia. What does a child that young do? Do you, I mean, do you wear wigs or do you just go with it?
1: You know, I think every family's different. Every kid's different. She just sort of has always worked what she's had. Mm -hmm. So she did headbands for a while. She occasionally did crazy hats. Now she just doesn't do anything and um, feels mostly, I think, pretty comfortable in her own skin about it, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. Is it uh, a complete loss? Like, is her head, like, does it look like, I mean, I'm trying to think of how to say this, like, does it look like she just shaved her head or is there some hair or how does it?
1: So alopecia has different um, manifestations. She has the kind where she's basically got no body hair anywhere. She's got no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair on her head. Um, So it doesn't even look like a shave because there's like no stubble, no nothing.
0: I see. What other problems that I'm not thinking of does not having body hair present?
1: Oh, well, it's cold season. um, And so we don't often think about the hairs in our noses and what it does to the snot. Sorry. Um, But hers just runs. I mean, like (laughs) there's there's nothing to catch it. So, uh, you know, when she gets a cold, her nose is real runny. Um, The eyelashes do protect things from getting in the eyes. So, you know, she has to be a little bit more cautious about stuff getting into her eyes. It's interesting. Probably her ears, too, although I haven't looked in there in a minute. Huh.
0: It's just alopecia sounds like a, a radio name from the 80s. Like, how you doing? El? It's alopecia. Yeah. But yeah. instead, it's horrible. Um, yeah. Ooh.
1: I mean, it, it can be. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked to her a bunch about this over the years. And as she gets older, you know, her own narrative about it is evolving. So there's treatments now, for example, that can help with turning off the autoimmune response and regrowing hair and lots of people. And I said, Hey, you know, do you want to talk to somebody about looking into this? And she said, no, I kind of like the way I am. And so it's just one of those things that I think she's integrated into her identity and how she moves through the world and her friends are down with it. And, you know, it doesn't mean she doesn't, um, you know, get snide remarks or side eyes or whatever from time to time. But I think she is, you know, she walks around like she's, fine you
0: know what i mean hey i'm gonna ask a question that will like initially sound slightly yeah. weird but i'm getting to it so i by your name and i'm guessing jewish
1: yes ah, okay good, good guess wow. yeah
0: yeah wow look at me i'm a, I'm a real genius <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um reason i asked was uh how does how does a person being and maybe your daughter's not but how does a person being more dark complected um look without like i guess i'm trying to figure out is how much of your hair color makes me think of a person as being dark complected or mm-hmm. is your child not classically uh, olive skinned
1: she uh i would say you know she's pretty fair skinned actually okay. um but i will tell you like eyebrows make a big difference in terms of somebody's face like i'm looking at your picture on your zoom screen here and i'm trying to figure out like what would you look like without eyebrows that's weird sorry Probably nobody's ever told you that, but it does really change the look of somebody's face, but it's also been so long since I've seen her with eyebrows that it's just her face. You wouldn't think of it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. All right. So is diabetes something you worry about for her?
1: I do always have it in the back of my mind. like As I've listened to podcast episodes or seen posts on the Facebook group with parents who are wondering if their kid in illness who's not diabetic is, you know, secretly holding onto a high blood sugar. Like I've definitely got that sort of all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she did do trial net. She was negative for antibodies at that time. And I never re-enrolled or retested or anything. I just am crossing my fingers, you know?
0: Yeah. I I don't say it here very often, or maybe i never said it, but I sometimes I look at my son and I'm just like, please don't get diabetes. Like, okay. just like it, just I never say it out loud. I don't think it changes my demeanor, but every once in a while, like you know, if he goes through something, and and I don't know, it's like, well, that's enough. Like, he doesn't need more. Like, not yeah. that anybody needs more, but it's um, it does run through my head sometimes. Like, yeah. But, and I think I look at Arden and I'm like, God, like nothing else. Like, please, nothing else. Like, this is enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? So.
1: When my kid was little and we were just sort of peeling off the alopecia thing and her being different, I said, you know, if you look around, everybody's got a thing, at least one thing. And I say, you know, my thing's diabetes and your thing's alopecia. And even from a young age, she could sort of start to appreciate that nobody gets from here to the end, wherever that is, like without a something. Yeah, Her something is quite visible. Mine is like mostly invisible. But the other thing that I didn't quite crack to her at that age is like, just because you get one thing doesn't mean you'll never get another thing. And in fact, on the autoimmune spectrum, if you get one thing, you know, you might well get another or a third or four, or whatever. Right. So um, I do wish for her to not have more things like you wish for Arden or you wish for your son.
0: Yeah. So. No, I, uh, I, just, I don't know. It's just, I, I can remember how it felt to find out that Arden had hypothyroidism yeah. and I was I was so mad. Uh, just like I, I wasn't angry when she got diabetes. I was sad. I was angry about the hypothyroidism. So, why angry? And I felt unfair.
1: Yeah.
0: And she was still young and out, it's completely out of your control. So, yeah. it, it's not even, you know what I mean? Like, people give you a baby and they're like, here, turn it into a person and keep it right. safe. There's really, yeah. you're too, you're too, <laughs> you don't have any other functions, really, as their parents, right? Like, yeah. you want them to grow up to, uh, I mean, I don't know about everybody else. We had basic, like, concepts about raising kids. Like, I I seriously, at the core of how I raised my children, I, I just wanted that when they left the company of others, that people didn't go, ah, kid's and mm-hmm. asshole. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I wanted them to be a, a reasonable yeah. person. And whatever that meant for them, however, what direction they took it in, I never had many thoughts about that. I just... I just wanted them to be a person that other people didn't like recoil from, and and I know that's like maybe sounds like overly simplistic, and I and that was it. Like, like seriously, I didn't really think about much more of it than that, Um, and I was doing it. Like, my kids ended up really well uh, in in that regard, Um, and then all the other stuff I was supposed to do, you know, I fed them and gave them clothes and kept them warm and they're loved and they know it all that worked really well. And then I just couldn't keep them from being sick. And it just feels like a, I don't know. It feels like a, a yeah, I was going to say,
1: it sounds like defeat.
0: Yeah. And, and and it's also one of those things where they're like, listen, the army just came in and kicked your ass. They'll be back. Yeah, (laughs) You you won't be any more prepared to fight them off the next time. And you won't know when they're coming. Okay. yeah, Yeah. So you feel like a, um, you feel like a victim a little bit. Yeah. Uh, um, And and that's unfair because like you said, and by the way, I've said on here a million times and really believe it, nobody gets out yeah. alive. You know, nobody gets through it unscathed. Everybody gets a thing. Um, And so I even feel that that's yeah. fair. But
1: well, know. it's different when you're looking it's, at it's your crazy. kid, your your non-assisted kid. I mean, like the one that you brought into the world and invested all that stuff in, like I would guess that many parents look at their kids and just wish for their path to be completely smooth all the time. You know, I'm also the kind of person who thinks in retrospect, of course, not, sw- not when it's my own kid, but um, whatever bumps they have are going to help them be the person that you want them to be, you know, yeah, like how they manage adversity or how they relate with other people through it or what they own and what they don't. And, you know,
0: all right. no, it all I-
1: becomes part of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could make an argument in a similar but different direction. I, first of all, I'm a pressure-makes-diamonds person myself. Like, I I don't think that, I mean, I don't know, to use, like, a big example and an unfair one because I don't know her, like, I wouldn't want my kid to be a Kardashian. You you know, Mm -hmm. like, that that kind of thing. Like, I think you need some sort of, um, some some trouble's got to come your way, right? You have to learn how to fight through things. Um, And... But I only say that, I guess, with comfort knowing that my kids are kind of psychologically centered, because yeah. if my children were depressed or ang- or super anxious or something like that, I might even say to you, like, oh, God, like, you know, why can't their coach or their teacher or whoever, like, cut them a break? They don't, yeah. you know, they don't, I, I don't know. I don't see any of that stuff much differently, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like you said, it's the thing that impacts you is the is the thing that you have a sensitivity to. And I may yeah. have just referenced something that we talked about before we recorded. So sorry about that. No, it's all right. Yeah. All right. uh, Why the hell are you on this podcast? Let's figure that out. I had tried two different supplement drinks and did not like either of them. And I kind of gave up. And then Athletic Greens reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in talking about AG1 on the podcast. And I thought, "Uh, well, the other two didn't work. Maybe I'll like this one. So I told him, yeah, listen, I got to try it first, because if I don't like it, I can't talk about it. And I was really pleasantly surprised. I mean, b- beyond pleasantly. Athletic Greens makes a product, AG1, that is easy to drink for me. It doesn't cause all that uh, pain and bloating that I got with the other drink. It's not gritty and nasty. It doesn't leave a weird aftertaste. It doesn't make me make a face. I don't stand at the counter thinking, "Good, you can do it, Scott. Drink it, drink it. It's, it's really easy for me. You... Don't know me that well, but I have a tough time with, um, I can't eat things I don't like. And AG1 must be something I like because I'm (laughs) I'm not running away from it. Usually I'd mix up the other one and look at it for like an hour, but this is great. Get up in the morning, mix, mix, mix. Here I go, one scoop of athletic greens and some water, knock it down, and I move on my day. It really is super simple. No matter your lifestyle, you can use AG1. Keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything. And it still tastes good. How do they do it? I don't know. Athletic Greens was created when its founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplemental routine that cost him like $100 a day. But you can have AG1 for less than $3 a day. And why not invest in your health? For an amount of money less than a cup of coffee, you can get AG1 from Athletic Greens. Recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss. Ooh, Tim Ferriss. What is that name? Well, me too. Scott, I take it. Does that count? To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash juice box. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Last thing, if you're already using AG1, no reason you can't buy it through my link. You know what I mean? Hint, hint, AG1. Get it from Scott. Athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Use my link, inpentoday.com, to learn more about the InPen. Would you like to take the right insulin dose at the right time? The InPen is a reusable smart insulin pen that uses Bluetooth technology to send dose information to a mobile app. Ooh, a mobile app? That sounds like it's on your phone. Offering dose calculations and tracking, InPen helps take some of the mental math out of your diabetes management. You know what I said earlier about some of the functionality that pumps have that you don't get usually if you don't have a pump? Well, the InPen gives you your current glucose right on your phone, meal history, dose history, an activity log, reports, glucose history, active insulin remaining, and a dosing calculator. You might be wondering how it does all that. Go check out InPenToday.com to find out more. You also might be thinking, this sounds incredibly expensive, Scott. Well, guess what? You may pay as little as $35 for the InPen. Offers available to people with commercial insurance, terms and conditions apply. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed, or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, visit inpentoday.com.
1: You know, that's a really good question. I was listening to some of your other episodes where you ask people, like, what made you want to do this? And so I went back to my litany of Facebook messages to you, and I'm thinking, why did I ever reach out to him? You know, I, the first couple of things I sent were like, hey, have you ever thought about this on the podcast? Have you ever looked at that? And mostly those questions were out of my own experience or wondering, like, is this a diabetes thing? And then one day I wrote to you and I was like, look, I don't really know if I have anything that would be of use to anybody else, but here's all the stuff I got. And if any of it would be cool, let me know.
0: Yeah. Well- and I'm
1: short. And then you're like, oh, you're short. Cool. Let's get you on the podcast.
0: <laughs> don't don't give away that I don't have any real Intake, sorry, sorry. intake. of uh, situ- um, I don't know rules or anything like that. Like, uh-huh. You're like I'm really I'm short. I'm like good enough. Get on. Here. <laughs> we can. We
1: well, can make- I mean, in fairness, you're like oh you're short. You you can wait a really long time before you record, and if you still want to do it, come do it.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> that that is, and I, I I do feel bad about that every time. No, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. It is such a long. I we figured it out the other day. It takes about. It could take about 15 months from the time you email until the time your episode goes live. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so one it's of the a good, things,
1: it's a good problem to have. Sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh, no, it certainly is. I, I go into a slight panic and flop sweat every time I think about what would happen. I complain the whole time. Look at my schedule. I record every day. I need a break too. There are times where my voice hurts when I'm doing mm-hmm. it. And then I think, "Well, oh, I'll just take a week off. And then the other, per- then the other voice in my head is like, do not do that. <laughs> Um, you're going to six months from now, you're not going to have content when you want it. So the one thing I thought you said in your note that was really interesting was that you said talking about training doctors and NPs about being good human beings. Yeah. And I'm dying to know where that came from.
1: Yeah. So I, the short version of the long story, or maybe the medium length version is when I was a kid, Like, I remember sitting in the doctor's office, in my pediatric endocrinologist's office, and thinking to myself, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm going to be a doctor, and not only am I going to be a doctor, I'm going to do diabetes, and I'm going to do it with kids. And probably lots of kids with diabetes have that thought from time to time, but I was like, these people suck, which I'm sorry, uh, I won't, not all of them, but I remember thinking that as a kid. So I sort of set out my, my path from that age, whatever that was, you know, probably younger than my kid. Um, and that didn't go as I planned, mostly because I failed anatomy and physiology. <laughs> like I learned in my classwork that I probably wasn't suited for many reasons to go into medicine in that way. But I ended up sort of circling back into medicine through the pathway of getting my degree in family therapy and in thinking about um, healthcare in a really different slice, mm-hmm. but probably like my niche area is um, about that intersection between health and illness and how we experience it as people and recognizing that lots of healthcare professionals don't really get good training in how to attend to that part. So there's really good evidence-based guidelines for managing all kinds of things, but most people don't know or don't get good training or practice in how to sort of meld that with like relating with other people. So I spent a lot of my time in that domain training people.
0: You just made me wonder how many people decide they want to be doctors then realize they wouldn't be good doctors and do it anyway
1: well right i <laughs> i can't speak to that <laughs> yeah, i, I can't speak to that i probably can't even share stories without getting into trouble but i will say you know being a healthcare professional now is so much more than just the medicine but like you have to get through that door of rote memorization and tons and tons about the human body which is like super fascinating I probably wasn't fascinated with all of it. I'm probably, I've always been fascinated with the people part. So I think I probably found the right path for me that was the balance of that.
0: So there's this thing that's in my head right now because it happened earlier in the week. Um, I recorded an episode with a person who uh, has had diabetes for a long time and had been told over and over again by doctors what a good job they were doing. As the years went on, this person came to realize that they weren't doing a quote-unquote great job. It, yeah. Their A1C was higher than it should have been, their variability was higher, their health wasn't what it could have been, all this stuff, yeah. um, and they recognized that and they had pushed through and and made changes that that were, uh, were good for them. But when they talked about their healthcare providers, they had two different doctors, one that they loved and thought was terrific, and one that they really hated and didn't like at all. Mm -hmm. And as I picked through it, I learned that the one that they loved was the one that was telling them they were doing great. Mm -hmm. And the one they hated was the one that was telling them that there was some ceiling here and places to improve. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So it was fascinating because from from a physician's perspective, the ones they didn't like, were the ones that were trying to help them. The ones they did like were the ones that were telling them, "Hey, it's fine." Now, you all are never going to hear this episode, which is a shame. But um, because a couple of days after I recorded it, I got a message from that person, and they asked me not to air it because what ended up happening during the conversation, if I'm, you know, if I'm understanding correctly from what I heard during the conversation and then what I saw later from the the, the note, is that I believe this person realized while we were talking that for a decade or more that they had, they were doing something for their health that wasn't as good as it could have been. I I think there was I I don't know. Like, I don't want to ascribe their feelings Mm -hmm. because I'm not certain, but shame or guilt or sadness or something. But I I think what happened was, is that the recording turned into a therapy session and this person had a breakthrough during it. And it wasn't something they wanted to share with somebody else, which Mm -hmm. I completely understood immediately deleted the episode. Um, I didn't want that person to be uncomfortable at all. But fascinating to me, so much so that it keeps coming up in my head, um, how in their mind they picture the people who were not hurting them, but not helping them as much as they could have been um, favorably and vice versa. I thought that was really something. And I wonder how much that happens to people with diabetes. Yeah, I
1: mean, my, I think it's a really good wondering. I think most healthcare professionals want to be helpful. And the person who was saying, you're doing a great job, probably thought they were being helpful. And so too did the person who said, you got to do better. And, um, and it, you know, in honesty, each one of those scenarios is sort of like, what's the rightest match for the patient in this moment in their life, in whatever course of their disease they have. And that's really tricky for other people to like mind read. So part of like a lot of the focus that I have in my work is trying to get people to ask, like, where are you on this spectrum of um, what are all the things that you need from me? How can I be helpful to you? Where are you relative to your own self-management or what your next goals are? Partly because um, we can't expect everybody to sort of do a one-off custom job of healthcare, except that each one of us is different and needs different things across the lifespan, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what I need now from my healthcare team is different than what I needed when I was 18, thankfully.
0: Yeah, I also, what you're saying is making me thinking that, made me think about what if that doctor who was telling that person like, you're doing great, you're doing great. What if they saw something else about them and they thought they can't handle any more pressure? I can't mm-hmm. pressure this person. Hey, we're keeping their A1C in the eights. At least it's not like, 10. Right. And, and then- from there, I wonder, is that really your, is it really fair for a doctor to make that decision? If that's the decision that's being made, which is sure your health could be better. I should be telling you that, but I don't think you can handle it. Like, is it your job to decide who can handle it? Or mm-hmm. is it your job to say, listen, I don't know if you can handle this, but we need to get your A1C down or you're going to have some long-term complications.
1: Yeah. Um
0: Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, where do you I mean, it seems like if it's not the doctor's job to assess you, then whose is it? And then it even makes me consider the other side on the patient's side. Like, do they even know that about themselves? And by yeah. the way, at this point now, I'm philosophizing. Like, I'm not talking about the original person anymore, you know. But yeah. um, like, what if I am a person who's high anxiety or depressed or just, you know, I don't look like I can handle it or I don't look like I understand the math or I've proven I don't understand diabetes how much of your doctor's job then becomes life support and not and not health support?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're asking me, which I mean, kind of, you are have to uh, be
0: because there's no one else here.
1: I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, my personal opinion, and you know, if I look at like all of the health professions and their ethical codes and like what what we're all responsible to do when we step into that role, we have to be able to give clear, accurate information to patients, even if it's hard, but like we don't have to hammer them over the head with it. So it's one thing to say, you know what, you're working really hard on this. Your A1C is currently eight. Like, let's look at the things that you're doing that will help you continue to be healthy. That's really different than, oh, you're good. Like, don't sweat it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's ways to keep sort of inching people toward what we know is going to like be better for them in the long run and avoid complications without making them feel terrible. But what's hard is that you don't always know what's in the eye or ear of the beholder. So some people are not going to feel great about hearing this eight isn't good enough, except that like the right combination of um, this is what we know, these are what the risks are, here's how I can help you. Like that's the conversation I want people to be having with patients, you know, not avoiding the, the scary stuff, because if we just sort of leave it there, then it won't make somebody anxious. Like that person, if they're anxious or depressed, like they still need guidance and help to get
0: there. Mm -hmm. I like talking to you. Why is that? Thanks. No, Listen, I talk to a lot of people and I've never had a bad conversation because I think everybody's interesting, but you are pacing me. This is the pace I, as crazy as it sounds like, this is the pace I prefer, the conversation Mm -hmm. you and I are having right now. But- other people's energy dictates the pace of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, to, for me, and uh, I don't know, yours is a good one. I like your okay. tone. Everything. This is. I didn't know you were a therapist. See, it's so much better yeah, if you don't play these things. <laughs> it's, it's really, long. it's really wonderful. <laughs> I was just like, oh, she's a therapist. That's interesting. Like you could have said anything as as your job, and I would have been like, oh, that's fascinating. I had no idea. <laughs> um, I think that one of the I mean, I don't know how obvious it is to everybody. Maybe therapists see it a little more who listen, but there are themes that I'm trying to reinforce quietly in the podcast, and the ability to talk to each other is one of them. Yeah. So uh, when when I think about that somebody could have gone through medical school, ended up with a great degree and an understanding of a profession, and then can't communicate it to someone Yeah. That's just like, I mean, it makes you feel like, like, well, why are we even trying? (laughs) Like, like, you know, like, I mean, you can make a doctor who can understand the medicine, but can't keep you from feeling um, attacked when they explain it to you. Uh, It's just, it's terrible, you know?
1: I mean, I, yeah, I think it is terrible that it feels like we sort of are, we shouldn't have to choose. None of us should have to choose, but they're also different skill sets. Like when I was pregnant, I remember somebody saying to me, would you prefer a doctor who has um, really good technical skills related to the delivery, which was going to be complicated, Mm -hmm. uh, or someone with a good bedside manner? And that question always stood out to me because I'm like, wait a second, these are not mutually exclusive things. Why can't I have both of them? You know, in reality, the question was, I'm thinking of these specific people and this person, her strength is this, and this person, their strength is that. But, um, you know, part of my mission and my work and in my sort of everyday thing is probably not unlike yours. Like, I want us to be good to one another. So whether you're a healthcare professional or any other kind of person, like how you approach others in your world is really important. And I think a lot of that stuff is teachable um, practiceable and betterable. That's not a
0: word, but the but people have to want to do it or they, yeah. so it's so funny. You brought this up as an exponent, uh, as an example, because uh, my wife has given birth twice. Uh, the first time she got bow tie, no personality th- to speak of almost no facial like movement while you were discussing things with him. Great doctor. Um, Dry and calm. My son came out with a a, a knot in his umbilical cord, and mm-hmm. I went to cut the umbilical cord, and I saw the knot, and I pointed to it and said, "Is that a problem?" And he held the baby towards me, Cole, and showed me that it was alive, and went apparently not. I mean, like mm-hmm. that was the ex- <laughs> <laughs> like that was the extent of his like bedside manner. Yeah, I mean just. A monotone and quiet and a slow speaker, but man, like you couldn't get a person to say, This isn't the guy you want in the room if something gets sideways, you know? Yeah. Then the the next person comes for Arden and he's full of life and gregarious and everything else. And as Arden's coming out, he's across the room, and I see this like big eyes behind his mask, and he runs towards Kelly's vagina as if the baby is about to fall out of it. And like turns out. And and he's Almost looks shocked by it. And I have no comfort while he's delivering the baby whatsoever because he's just sort of like, woo.
1: <laughs> like you'd sit and have a beer with him, but like he was, he forgot he was going to be delivering a baby.
0: Wonderful guy yeah. was pretty upset that he was in charge of catching Arden, yeah. you, you know, and what, why, why to your point, like, can't we blend those people together?
1: I, I do. In fairness, I, I do think there are, there is increasingly like less gap there. I mean, I think there is more and more awareness. Like if I look at the newer healthcare providers who are entering the field that I get to work with Mm -hmm. many, many more of them are way more sensitive to all kinds of things like to the people skills, to emotional health and wellness, to mental health stuff. And, you know, part of it probably is the specialty that I work in and practice in, Mm. but also like, I, I think I think the generations are like, wait a second, we actually need to bring a lot of different things to medicine uh, or to healthcare. And and people are selecting when they have those skills too. So I don't think it's really like an all or nothing thing. And I do see, I do see it's getting
0: better. Do you believe, um, it's just your opinion, obviously, but are they more aware because they want to be or because they think they have to be? And does it even matter why they're doing it as long as they're doing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's probably both, and it probably doesn't matter what the genesis is. Like, you know, here's the other reality, which is going to sound sort of silly when I say it, but like healthcare people are people.
0: Yeah. That should be like
1: a song or like a Kermit the Frog (laughs) situation. But, you know, I think there are so many things that can get in our way of connecting with another person. And that's true no matter what kind of work you do. But I think in healthcare in particular, more and more people are coming with those skills already in there. They're coming with different life experiences and and what training programs like medical school or nursing school are selecting for now when they're looking at applicants is not just test scores. They're looking at a more well-rounded sort of socially connected kind of person now, Mm -hmm. which I think is driving that change that we're talking about.
0: Hey, a minute ago, when you referenced Kermit the Frog, were you thinking of Rainbow Connections when you heard? Absolutely.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Why did we both know that? I, I don't know. I, as you said that, I thought whatever she just said, that little like made up t shirt slogan you said, I thought it's reminding her of Rainbow Connection. And.
1: Yeah. Or, or Barbara Streisand. That's People weird. Who,
0: There's something yeah. about the pantameter of what you said that made us think. Uh, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. I wonder why mm-hmm. that, isn't that interesting? Language is very, I'm fascinated by people and how they speak to each other. Um, well, that, that's going to remain the coolest thing that happened to me this month, I think.
1: That, that's awesome. That
0: we both had that thought at the same time. Uh, we should probably talk about diabetes. Sure, let's do that. <laughs> do you have any idea how many times during this podcast I think I should probably talk about diabetes? <laughs> but um, I've been doing it for a while and I just, I'm very interested by people. So, uh, okay. So if you were, if you had diabetes that long ago, you started on pork insulin, beef and pork. Yep. Okay. And then transitioned in the mid, you probably only had to do it five or so years, right?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Okay. Um, Cloudy, uh, regular MPH after that. Yep. All right. How long did you do that for?
1: You know, I don't really know for sure. Um, Partly because I wasn't Responsible for myself up until you know yesterday. So um, when I was really little, I mean, I think I I followed that path probably through on the NPH and regular. I mean, probably at least till I was my daughter's age. She's eleven. Okay. I got my first pump when I was twenty one, but I was on multiple daily injections up until then. Mm. Um, But by that time, I think had graduated. I don't even know that I ever made the leap to Lantus, actually.
0: So what is your health like now? Did it work out? I mean, I'm, I'm
1: here talking to you. So, <laughs> so, so it's working okay. Um, in general, uh, things are pretty okay from the diabetes perspective. I do have some retinal complications, which just sort of feels like an unlucky break. Um, you know, I was listening to you talk earlier about um, s- some other folks you've talked with and You know, or maybe I was listening to a podcast episode. In any event, um, you know, there are people who I know anecdotally who have had diabetes 40, 50, 60 years and sort of remarkably have zero complications. Mm -hmm. And I grew up and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be that person no matter how screwy my adolescence is, no matter how messed up my control was, up until I decided to do something different with it. And then I remember the first time somebody said to me, Well, I see these little hemorrhages in your eye. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. So I thought, well, I'll just be one of those people who has this, you know, little thing here, and it's not really going to go anywhere. And it now in retrospect, just sort of feels like one of those things that comes when you've had diabetes for a really long time that I wished wasn't a foregone conclusion. And most of the people I talk to in healthcare say, well, if you've had diabetes 40 years, like something is going to happen. The odds are incredibly high, except I know people who don't. So I mostly feel unlucky, but it's probably more complicated than that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I listen anecdotal, like times a thousand. But I seem to be the first thing that people have a problem with if they're going to have a problem like yeah. that. That one seems more. uh I don't know. I don't I don't want to say it happens more often, but the frequency yeah. that I hear about it while I'm talking to people um, is, and it's usually people coming right out of that time frame where you were diagnosed yeah. to um, yeah. just that, that like uh, you know, the story of like, I used to inject once a day and then it was twice yeah. a day. And then I went yeah. to this one and we didn't really count carbs. And I just, you know, we didn't have a meter for a long time, You're um, right? you know, but you were diligent about doing what you were supposed to do. Uh, you no? know, mostly. mostly. I mean,
1: it it legitimately blows my mind when I look at people in my social circle who are new to diagnosis or have kids who are, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are hitting the ground running with like the absolute best. And, you know, actually, probably in retrospect, I did, too. But the absolute best at that time was like urine dipsticks. And <laughs> standard issue injections of insulin, and like you roll the dice and hope it works okay. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, my A1Cs were always in the eights and nines. And I, I went back and looked at notes from my doctors at that time, and they were like, "Yep, everything's stable, looks good."
0: Yeah, that was the best thing could hope for, really.
1: Well, right, because I had scary lows too, and scary lows in a little kid is scary. You know that yeah. probably better than anybody. So I think you know we all. I say we all, everybody did the best with what they had at the time, the best of what they knew, the best of what the treatments were. And I think, you know, it just sort of stinks that that decade, that first decade in particular, or maybe the first two, you know, if we transpose that to a diagnosis in the early two thousands or this decade, like things would probably look really different. Yeah.
0: So, no, I mean, I think it's, it's maybe akin to saying, you know, it, gee in 1960 can you believe we got to the moon in that piece of tinfoil you know wouldn't it have been great if we had elon right. musk's rocket like we you sure it would have been but we didn't and there right, was no way right. to so you can't feel even i mean i guess if you want to be healthy about it in your mind you you can't look back and just say oh i wish it was different because it's yeah it's what it was Right, it yeah,
1: was, I mean, like I, I can wish it was different, and accept that it is as it was. You know yeah, what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like if we could, like, somehow resurrect somebody from the 1800s and say, "Wouldn't it have been cool if you had a pickup truck when you're trying to get to Oregon?" You, you know, yeah. like, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> avoid that dysentery you oh, hit. On the- oh
0: my god! I don't think the arrows from the um from the Native Americans would have even been able to go through right. your Chevy Tahoe. Like, right. like, so it just, you know, it it's not the same. You just, yeah. it's not apples to apples and you can't compare them. It's just interesting to hear. For me, yeah. I think I like to hear the conversations because I imagine that newer diagnosed people, they still got diabetes or their kids got diabetes. It doesn't yeah. matter to them that they can have a CGM now. Um, yeah. You know, I think they need the juxtaposition sometimes. Yeah. You know, so I like I'm
1: that. I'm very grateful for all the technology. And, you know, I was, I was probably a late adopter to a lot of it. Um, but now that I have it, like, I'm not sure I could, I mean, I can't ever go back. It's sort of awesome.
0: Right. Well, I think, I think that if you're having diabetes and sticking with this line of stupidity, when I make things up in my head, um, (laughs) you, you have a Chevy Tahoe now you're trying to push West and good news. The Cherokees did not upgrade to bazookas. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're still doing a difficult thing, but it's, uh, better equipped. Yeah. You're way better equipped. Yeah. You know? So For sure. Anyway, um, so you grew up in a family with a lot of children? I did. Uh, Like brothers and sisters, more than you can count on one hand? or
1: I have to think about how many fingers I have. I'm one of seven kids. Wow. um, And five of us, six of us mostly grew up in the same house for a number of years, and then mostly it was the five,
0: younger five. Okay. Uh, Did your diabetes cause any uh, changes to a family structure or turmoil, or anything worth talking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think honestly, like how I even got to my current profession as a family therapist and working in healthcare probably has a lot to do with how diabetes shaped me growing up in that family. Like we are, um, all my siblings, we are accomplished, smart, funny, likable people. Um, like definitely fun to have at a party, fun to have around dinner, but like we're, we also have a lot of intensity among us. And so you introduce a very sort of significant illness in a very little person into a dynamic that's already kind of like a lot of energy because there's a lot of kids and people are going in different directions. It really, it forces that family unit to do a lot of things differently. So whether it was around needing to wait to eat dinner or who's going to give me my shot or who's going to make sure I have this, that, or the other thing packed before I go to school, you know, I I think it was was part of the fabric of my family's life growing up, my siblings in particular. And, um, you know, it's sort of hard to say what would have been different if that wasn't the case, but it also shaped like how we grew up with one another, how they related with me or what they expected of me or, you know, how long it took for them to see me as a grown-up sibling as opposed to somebody who's vulnerable or little, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you ever talk about it with them as adults? Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. Do you think they had any impacts on them themselves personally?
1: Um. I, yeah. I mean, it's sort of hard to say exactly what all the impacts are. I think some of them would say, well, the diabetes, like, took things away from me. And whether they would use that language or not, like, that's how I imagine it. Because it does, you know? Diabetes at that time in my family took up a lot of space. So, already there's a lot of kids, all of whom, each of whom, have their own needs, like on an emotional level, on a day to day schedule level. But diabetes sort of like forces everything to turn toward it, you know? So, a low blood sugar or an injection or things that happen have to happen on a schedule, like it, someone else's needs can't be more important than that at that time. Yeah. At least that's the way it was when I was younger. Right. So some of them would say, well, you know, I think diabetes took stuff away from me. Others I think would say, I'm talking about them. Like there's like a million, but there basically are, um, some of them would say that it, it made them more sensitive to sort of other people's challenges. Mm-hmm. I think, um, some of them would say it forced them to develop more responsibility, especially at a younger age than maybe their peers. I spoke, Probably it added to conflict. Yeah, go
0: ahead. I spoke to someone the other day who uh, whose parents put the siblings in charge of taking care of the kid at school. They yeah. were oh, we were all in the school together, and so the older kids had to go give the the kid her shots. Yeah, and I thought, wow, that's kind of. I actually thought, well, what a brilliant use of workforce. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean,
1: yes, but,
0: but but you know what I mean, like. It, I, I, I had my, I put myself in that position, my little kid off at school, things not, not like they are today at some schools where you can, you know, get a 504 plan and be like, listen, you know, you take care of my kid or we're going to sue you. And, um, and the the parents were like, okay, what do we have at our disposal here? We have other kids in the school. All right. You guys, you guys take care of your sister. Yeah. And, um, I thought, that was crazy. Like, and, and brilliant.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely had that in our family um, you know, whether it was always like spelled out, like this is what your job is, or it was sort of, this is what the moment needs of you. And I, I imagine, although I don't know for sure, cause I was little, like, I don't really know what those conversations were in advance. Like, Hey, how do you feel about this? Can you help me with this? I'd really appreciate it. Or if it was just it's dinner time, give your sister her shot. So, you know, I think how you broker all that stuff probably makes a big difference. How you, negotiate it with the kids. Yeah, um, But I do think there was a fair bit of that in my family.
0: Here's a question for you that that yeah. leans into your profession a little bit. By the way, how do you practice? Is it like private from your home, from an office? Do you work for an institution? It's
1: a really good question. So I actually don't do a ton of clinical work on my own. Like I see a, a few people now, but mostly what I do is teaching and sort of having administrative roles with um, other larger groups. So I work in a medical school um, and I work in a couple of our um, medical schools, clinical departments where I'm doing all the training and education that you and I were talking about. Um, but in terms of like my own direct clinical work, I do a lot less of that now than I used to.
0: Well, you seem like you would have been really good at it.
1: I I hope.
0: Yeah. Well, well how much of your job is theoretical? Like, how do you mean? Well, I don't know what I mean. Let's figure out what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> People change through generations, year to year, et cetera. Yeah. Their sensitivities change. Um, you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now that I don't think I'm a perfect person. And there, it's you could listen to me on this podcast and see where I probably have deficits growing up and stuff like that. But I grew up in a world where if I misspoke, someone would slap me. Yeah, You know, if my dad lost his temper, he might keep slapping me
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, at this point in the world. You know, uh, the, the, you know, one of those incidences would have had me taken out of the home even. And mm-hmm. yet it didn't happen to me like very frequently. And here I stand before you, I'm a fairly well-adjusted person. Um, and so that's, I don't know, I mean, I'm dating myself now 35, 40, oh geez, oh my God, 40 years mm-hmm. ago, maybe I was trying to give myself something in the thirties, but <laughs> the truth is <laughs> that's not fair. 40 or more years ago. I'm describing to you, right? It's it's now an unheard of idea in in polite society, right? You would not slap your kid in the face in a restaurant for saying something fun. And just try to imagine me as a little kid. No mm-hmm. no malice. <laughs> I'm just jer- jerking around and being stupid and you know sarcastic and my dad didn't get the sarcasm. By the way, you know, fair enough, right? Uh wor- worked all day in a in a you know, a hard job and he didn't have money and he came home and like the five seconds that he's got to like eat dinner, I'm, you know, I'm, yep. being, I'm being an idiot. And so, um, the way you would have talked to me back then, if you had a therapist job back then, you would probably have said to me, Hey, listen, if your dad works hard and he's tired and he ain't up for your bullshit, stop it. (laughs) Right. Like that might've been, that might've been what you said back then. And now you'd say, nobody can treat you that way. Um, your safety is important, whatever else would go along with it. And my question is, is then what, what's going to happen 40 years from now? Like what's a therapist going to say 40 years from now? So is what you're telling me right now, just theoretical or is it implicit to the time?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. My, my personal Approach with my work is family and systems. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if it was 40 years ago or now, like, I'm going to be looking at what's the sequence of interactions between you and the other people who are important to you, and how well are they working for what you need to do? So, like, th- this part that I'm going to say sounds kind of theoretical, but I'll make it kind of practical. Like, if you say, it's important for me that in my family's home we have loving relationships and we look out for one another. Great. You know, like that's a pretty easy to understand principle. But then it's from that I can say, well, how is you back and your kid at the dinner table consistent with that? Like, right. is that working to get you where you want to go? And I think in that way, I take whatever is theoretical. I combine it with what the people in front of me say is important to them. And then I try to figure out how to help them close the
0: gap. You know what I mean? Right. No, that makes sense. It, it does. I just I and I'm not like I hope I don't sound like I'm belittling what, what you're doing. I think it's really important. And I agree with it. Uh, moreover, I'm just playing devil's advocate and trying to get to the, uh, to the other side of the idea. Um, because you're
1: asking about like how standards change over time, like what's acceptable and what's like desirable. Um, you know, I, I gotta say, like, I, I do follow things like what a developmental, People say and what do they say is good for kids and what's good for our brains and what's good for sort of our psychological health. I do look at researchers and scholars and what they are discovering about how we get to be good people. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so I do try to incorporate those ideas. Most people would say being in an environment where you're worried you're going to get slapped is is probably not great for lots of reasons. Um, So even if that were to evolve in a different way in the next 40 years like i i probably try to be thoughtful about the family's values where they want to go as well as kind of what the science says
0: yeah i bet, i'm i'm just looking back on my own life like there's probably a level of i'll call it anxiety but it's awareness maybe like you know like if i lived outside in the serengeti i'd always wonder if a cat was going to eat me like like mm-hmm. that kind like mm-hmm. it was sort of like that a little bit like you because you don't say I mean, when you're a kid, you don't say flippant things. You don't plan to say them, right? Something happens and it fires off like whatever part of my brain makes me say something stupid. And then I say something stupid. And then the next thing you know, you're like, you're like defending your head, (laughs) you know, like, and there's nobody even around you. You're just sort of like, you kind of get that like turn over your shoulder feeling like, oh, God, did someone hear me say that? Um, Oh, yeah. But, but what about boundaries though? Like, so what this is making me think about is, do we do human beings have limitless possibility? And if you just let them move in the direction that feels right to them, will they blossom in a way that I can't even imagine? Or if we let everybody just do whatever they want, will it be the like fall of society? Does that, I mean, it's a big question. Yes. Yeah. Right. I think yes
1: to both of them. Right. Like we are social beings. We live in communities and cultures that have norms and rules for how people should be in that space. Right. And it's different. Like I say to my kid all the time, different families do different things. What I'm trying to explain to her is that family culture, when she's in my family, Mm -hmm. this is what we do when we're here and other people may do something different. So I think there's always going to be that like blend of what the people around you who are important to you think is acceptable and what isn't. Um, but it's also true that I think we have limitless potential. Yeah. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive.
0: It's interesting because we need a mix of people, in my opinion, yeah. right? Yeah. And But if we all were a burning man 24 uh, seven, who would make the cars and make the electricity and stuff like that, yeah. right? And and yet sometimes people fall into categories they never break up. My wife's an incredibly hard worker
1: Yeah.
0: and she's just always going to be. Um, and I don't think, I don't know what I'd have to be able to provide for her to make her go, Hey, you know what? I don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, like, would it be like how many millions of dollars would I have to put in a pile before she went, okay, I'm comfortable not working or does it have nothing to do with money? Like, I can't even, I'm not even sure if it's just how Mm -hmm. she's wired or if, um, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day about you know the pressure we feel to leave Arden some money in case I don't know like what if she becomes a near to well and can't afford her you know her medications or something like we want to have a little nest egg for her but then that mm-hmm. makes you feel pressure to leave a nest egg for the other person and mm-hmm. we don't make that kind of money where we're just piling up money in the corners <laughs> you, you know what i mean so mm-hmm. so like you're working so hard to amass something just to it's an insurance policy and in the case of my son, just because I wouldn't want to do one for one and not for the other one. Yeah. But by the time, if we're able to accomplish that, by the time we accomplish it, it's going to kill us. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if we would have thought of it that way if Arden didn't have diabetes. Yeah. So it's, it's impact. You know, you said that impacts, it's hard to know what impacts are. We were talking about something earlier and it made me think that even the place you live, right. Whether it's an apartment or a house you know your life if you buy if, if me moving into the house i'm in now in some ways that i'll never understand shaped my life and my children's life and literally if we would have bought the house across the street there would be things about us that would be different now mm-hmm. and it's just it's fascinating to um to wonder how those little variables impact but you're never going to know yeah yeah it's just um i mean
1: thankfully we'll never know we could like probably make ourselves nuts yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. um we're off the track again sorry um (laughs) how do you manage your diabetes right now
1: uh you mean like good or bad no i mean like like, what are my
0: tools yeah your tools so
1: yeah i am on a t-slim pump and a dexcom and um you know that is working pretty well for me Mm -hmm. overall um i did have you know a different pump previously with a cgm and i i was listening to some of your questions earlier about the evolution of those tools over time i remember being at a diabetes fundraising event a bunch of years ago and i was talking to one of the other people there who had diabetes and she's like oh do you use the you know the cgm that was the one that went with my pump and i was like yeah i mean sometimes she's like what do you mean sometimes i'm like ah eh. It feels like I'm harpooning myself when I put it in. I don't like it. I use it sometimes. And she's like, why wouldn't you use it all the time? And I think at that time I was like, you know, I probably was more ambivalent about a lot of things than I am now. Um, But when I look at it now, I'm like, this stuff is available to me. It works pretty well. It could always be better. I could be better, but, you know, I I can't imagine not using it.
0: Yeah. What, what, um, Oh gosh, what was I just going to say? My brain was it about harpooning? My brain, no. My brain let me down. <laughs> Happens more as I get yep, older. Yep, yeah, yep. like my goodness. Um I you, you should my desk is too cluttered right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I I need to like clean it off because there's too much that I can see while I'm talking. I know that yep. sounds crazy, but um all right, so you so i'm on a tandem yeah. and oh, i got my question yeah. thank you um yeah. do, you, do you use the algorithm do you use the control iq or the i do use the control iq yeah how do you find that and was it difficult to do because you've been well, in diabetes so long like to me i wonder if a person who's had diabetes as long as you have looks at control iq or you know any of the other like algorithms and is it like getting into a, a modern car and letting it lane keep for you and speed up and slow down? Are you like, I'm not letting something else do that, or are you, are you happy for it?
1: I I mean, sort of both. Like I am happy for it to be doing the thing. Like when I go to sleep and I get up and I'm like, oh, that's like a super flat line. I would not have been able to do that on my own, I don't think. Or if I could have, I wasn't doing it before I had that have the system. Mm-hmm. That being said there's times when the the automatic car the self-driving car I'm like I don't like how you're driving this. I don't prefer that. But then I go in and I try to like mess with what it's doing and I'm like oh now I just screwed the whole thing and <laughs> um so I I feel both really grateful and sometimes frustrated and also in awe of it, all of it. Um I think it's it probably could be optimized a little bit more for what it is. Um you know, I wish the target blood sugar was a little bit lower. I wish it was quicker to correct stuff. Um, so those are my.
0: Yeah, I think I hope I hope to say I hope they will be one day. I hope that yeah. the like the one ten or whatever they are. I think Omnipod five is one ten. I think maybe Control IQ is like one twelve and a half. Is yeah. the, I think the target or whatever. Um, yeah. Hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully these companies will just continue to innovate. And to put R&D money into it so that they can go back to the FDA with confidence and say, hey, listen, I think we could let people choose all the way down to 80 or wherever they want, you know. Um, But I mean, it takes so much time.
1: Well, for sure. And, you know, here's the other reality, which you don't need me to point out to you. But like when I'm sitting with my endocrine team, you know, they when I'm thinking about the story you told earlier about folks who say, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. I know in my mind's eye, what are all the things that aren't great? When you look at what the technology is making possible, like things look pretty okay. You know, an A1C of you know, 6.5 is pretty okay by most people's standards. That being said, like my variability is higher than I want it to be. Or sometimes I hang out in the 200s for days and don't know why and don't really want to think it's about the hormone things that happen when I get older Mm -hmm. or whatever else. Like there are still like, things that I do that influence the the effectiveness of the algorithm. And in some ways, like they're never going to know those things as well as I do. I'm always probably going to think I could do better. But in the meantime, having technology that takes a bunch of that guesswork out is like super helpful because otherwise it's kind of a full-time job on top of my other full-time jobs.
0: I have to be honest. If um, when I'm, talking to people, I do, I do my very best not to be judgmental, like not to yeah. let my own personal, like, um, uh, I don't know, like how to put it exactly. Like I don't, I, I try not to make snap judgments when people say things like, like, yeah. like the person who is talking to you, like, you know, is me. But at the same time, if you put me in my personal life, when, when I, there are times when I hear people say like, Oh, the doctor told me I was doing great. And I just believe them in my mind. I think what, yeah. <laughs> like, so I mean, you're you're unaware that a nine A one C is not okay. Like yeah. Like like that sounds like a lie to me, you know. And then you start getting into the psychological part of it, which is, look, someone told me I, what it really means to me when they say someone told me it was okay and I didn't question it any further, is I got a pass not to think about this thing that is hard for me to think yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, sometimes it comes out of their mouth blaming. But I never yeah. I never hear it that way. I don't know if that makes sense or not. but
1: no, I th- it know. does make sense. You know, I think um, that like anxiety thing that you were talking about, I think I probably have that hardwired. Like I'm always thinking about what's diabetes doing in the background, even if I don't think I'm thinking about it. And because that's been true my whole life and because I know like better control is just better in the long run, especially you know, when I already have some complications, um, that track in my head is like going all the time. That doesn't always mean though, that I make great choices. Like sometimes I just want to eat ice cream for dinner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I understand that I, mean, I just made, for real. I made myself a waffle the other day, randomly <laughs> in the middle of the day. I mean, why not <laughs> so far, I'm gonna lunch th- waffles? I'm yeah. going to tell you something now that I'm okay. embarrassed by. Okay,
1: great. Mm -hmm. This is a safe space.
0: It's not people are going to hear this. So (laughs) (laughs) if it was safe, I wouldn't get so many emails. Um, Uh My brother takes me to a diner one day. My mom, um, my my mom is goes in. uh, My mom has cancer, right? She's doing she's doing pretty good. But we learned my mom has cancer six months ago or so. She has to go have surgery. She's 79 years old. My, you know, she's so old and the cancer is so, you know, advanced that my other brother flies in from the middle of the country, like just to drive her to the hospital because the three of us are in this car thinking it's a fair shot. Mom's going to die in this surgery. Mm. So we, uh, it's COVID. So we take her to the front door of the hospital and basically like just push her through in a wheelchair and we're like, Goodbye. You know, like it just, you just shoved her in there after yeah. there? Well, I mean, okay. we assumed somebody was going to find her. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. So, you know, it was, it felt like that. So, we spent the morning with her, sitting around her place, talking, you know, trying to not be like, trying not to say like last rights types of things. Like, you, like, there's, I found myself in the room thinking, there are things I want to share with mom in case she dies. And I don't want to say them because I don't want her to go in there thinking, I heard what that kid just said. I think he thinks I'm going to die. You you know, like, Mm -hmm. so you're trying to balance that line. We're all talking. We get her in the hospital and my brother goes, you guys want to go get some breakfast? And so we just went to a diner and we sat and talked for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ordered something and my brother turns to me and goes, get the chicken and waffles. And I went, what? He goes, I don't even care what you want or what you think. He goes, just get the chicken and waffles. And I was like, okay. So I ordered it. It was so good. He was incredibly right. Best waffle I ever had in my life. I then went on a waffle bender trying to recreate the waffle in my home. (laughs) I could not do it. (laughs) So I went back to the diner. While the 18-year-old... That was serving me, was chatting with me. I looked her in the face and I said, go in the back, use your phone, take a photo of whatever the waffle mix is, bring it to me, I will give you a $20 bill. (laughs) So... (laughs) So she goes in the back, takes a picture, airdrops it to me. Kids are amazing. Like, I love, like, how well they understand technology. I'm just sitting at my table. It just pops up. It's like, blah, 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 wants to airdrop you. And I'm like, well, this is either unwanted porn or a picture of the waffle mix. So I hit yes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. No loss in that. So I I hit yes. And there it was. She took a picture of it. I, I, I literally, I handed her the money. She goes, you don't have to give me that. I was like, a promise is a promise. You take this, do something nice with it. I always tell young kids the same thing. I'm like, don't buy drugs with my money. And I did. <laughs> <it. laughs> and, um, and then I went online. I'm so embarrassed. I had to order a case of it because it comes from a restaurant supply house. Oh, yeah. I spent $40 on, on waffle mix. It, I'm now $60 into it, as you can see. It comes to my house. I make it. It does not taste the same. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, my God, it's the syrup. So I go back. Please tell
1: me you went back. Of course Mm -hmm. I did. I'm
0: not giving up now. So I went back to the diner and I said, can I just have a little bit of that syrup? And I got some of it. I went home. I made another waffle. I put it on. It was better, but it wasn't exact. And I thought that's not possible. I bought the mix. I have the syrup. I'm uh-huh. whipping the butter. Like what's wrong. And I, and I can't figure it out and I can't figure it out. And then one day I realized it tasted really good. Cause I was sitting there with my brothers mm-hmm. and I'm never going to recreate that that way. Mm-hmm. And now I don't want the goddamn waffles and I have all this mix mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm going to start giving it away as gifts. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was that, that it took me like months. This is not a story that happened over a couple of days. I wasn't in there every day like going, all right, now give me this part. It literally took me once, months and months to build it up. And then that's what I figured out. It's it, it, it the, mm. the way those chicken and waffles tasted had nothing because I then went back and ordered the chicken and waffles again and sat there by myself at lunch and ate them. It wasn't the same. Yeah. So I don't know why I told you that, but you, know, you, you
1: said it was going to be an embarrassing story. That's actually really touching, honestly. It's a honestly. lovely
0: story. But the part it about... I
1: mean, I was... I mean, I, you're stuck with a ton of waffle mix. <laughs>
0: you have no idea. I'll send you some. <laughs> I should give it away <laughs> online. Um,
1: the contest of half-opened, half-consumed waffle mix.
0: Yeah, it, it, you is, know that. it is really good. And by the way, the syrup did upgrade it significantly. Mm-hmm. But what I figured out was that restaurant syrup... Is poison. Like it's mm-hmm. not, they're not giving you like maple syrup. They're not, ge- it's just, it, I mean, if there's a way to put high fructose corn syrup in something twice, they figured out how to do it. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. you could only buy it by the gallon, which makes it, I did, I want to say I did not buy a gallon of syrup. I just, you
1: I You bought a case of gallons no, of syrup?
0: I took a tumbler to a restaurant and strong armed, a, like a 19 year old kid and filling it up.
1: It's, it's right? actually sort of amazing you haven't gotten arrested in this story.
0: I'm delightful while I'm doing it. Yeah, I bet. And I'm throwing money around. So, you know, <laughs> no 20-year-old kid's going to be like, say again, you're going to give me $20 to do what? And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, so anyway, and I have not been kicked out of the restaurant. But yeah, I, um, I don't know. There's, anyway, my mom, I should say, uh, zipped through the surgery astonishingly well she had a full hysterectomy uh a tumor wow. the, the tumor the size of a grapefruit on her ovary and wow. the, and the day after the surgery i'm on the phone with her because i can't go see her yet i said mom how's the pain and she goes oh i'm good and i was like oh they got you all loaded up on stuff and she goes uh i took a tylenol and ibuprofen and i thought mm. old oh, people are tough you, you know she's they, a tough lady yeah, yeah. she's she, uh ibuprofen tylenol i mean uh, cut from her sternum down and Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff removed she goes to uh, rehab rehabs herself for a week goes into another place pulls herself together over the next month starts chemo she's five treatments into six chemo treatments right now and she's doing she's well well. um and uh that's it i'm gonna when she's done we're gonna i'm gonna take her to that diner
1: for chicken and waffles. I
0: don't know if that's what she wants, but that's what I'm getting.
1: <laughs> what if they can't even make the waffles cuz somebody bought all the waffle mix? <laughs>
0: that's possible. Um I I went to a restaurant supply house at one point and snuck in looking for the syrup.
1: <laughs> You're was, determined, I'm going to give you that.
0: I was on a bit of a I don't know, like I I have no idea. It's a holy grail. It really was and then the other day, Arden's like, "Do you want a waffle?" I'm like, "I'm completely sick of waffles. I never want a waffle yeah. again." So, I was making waffles, taking one bite of them, and throwing them away. Before well, now, I,
1: you're a waffle connoisseur. I, I mean, I got, that's the thing. That's what
0: you do now when you're fancy. I don't. I don't know how hard it is to be a waffle connoisseur. I, I've come to realize after I'm eating them, they're just flour. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, what have we not talked about that you wanted to? Anything?
1: I mean, probably lots of things, but.
0: Yeah. Why did we have to do this so early?
1: Because uh, I like have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I Most days, I mean, whether I'm working from home or working in one of my offices, like I'm, I'm generally like pretty jam packed from as early as six thirty or seven all the way through to the evening most days. So yeah.
0: I am often baffled that people are able to do this. Yeah. I, I really am like, I never ask, but I'm, but there's like the, the part of me that's like, why are you able to do this at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday? Um, I, some well, I have take to tell you, you're
1: the first invitation I got was for nine o'clock and I'm like, oh, this will be fine. It'll sort of be like the start of the day. And then my, one of my work groups was like, okay, we need to have a retreat from eight to 10. I'm like, no, I've got my recording. I've been waiting to do this. And then you happen to reach out to say, hey, I need to move it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah,
0: Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um I took a week off from recording so I could go be with my son. And uh As you should. Yeah. I'm gonna try to do enjoy
1: some like waffle that moments.
0: More often. Yeah, maybe I should take him for a waffle. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um uh two two more questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, How sure. short are you? Uh
1: like in real life or on my license. Uh,
0: I in real life, if you don't mind.
1: Like four nine ish and a half, wow. maybe. No kidding. Three quarters.
0: How did you get that baby out of you even?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Not easily.
0: (laughs) I was going to say. Not easily. That's, wow, you're, are other people in your family similarly
1: Yeah. I am not the shortest of my siblings. I'm not the shortest.
0: No kidding. Yeah. I I have a friend, people I love, who, uh, the shortest, the three shortest people I've ever met in my life. Like, she's short. She married a shorter guy. They had a short kid. Um, like when they're standing next to each other, it's like it's like watching Tom Cruise act. When they're all yeah. standing next to each other, you can't tell. The minute one yeah. of them breaks off and goes next to somebody else, you're like, oh my goodness, is are there limitations? Like, does your height yeah. hold you back from things?
1: Uh, not really. No. I mean, I, it's interesting. I've, I've from time to time, I've had people say, "How do you reach your dishes?" I'm like, "Oh, I just I put them where I can get them." <laughs> or uh, I I will tell you. Uh, You know, I'm in my 40s. I will still climb a grocery store shelf to get something that I can't reach rather than ask someone to help me Um, in my own kitchen. I will use other implements to get things out of cabinets. Like I'll grab a spatula and, you know, get the flour from the top shelf or whatever. But mostly my life is set up in a way that's navigable for me, for you. And it doesn't occur to me that I'm short until I stand next to someone like, oh, my gosh, you're short. I'm like,
0: oh yeah. Happens to, that happens. I think that happens to everybody. I I say a lot. Like I'm taller than most of the people I meet in the course of a day, and the minute someone's taller than me, I recognize that I am not tall at all. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Did you marry, or, or I'm sorry, are you married?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I I will tell you too, though. Just one other thing. I do look people in the eye a bunch, mm-hmm. so I think that's partly why it doesn't really occur to me. You
0: know. Yeah. Ooh, do you notice people's double chins more? Think about I mean, that in the course of your day for me. I you? got
1: I, well, I, legit. I'm thinking about my own, which is like a very unfortunate reality. But thank you for if, that.
0: If I had, if you gave me ten thousand dollars right now, I'm I'm putting this out to the people in the the listen. If you guys were to give me ten thousand dollars and told me I didn't have to use it for any real thing, I'd have my double chin like surgically removed. <laughs>
1: I mean, it, it's, it's the waffles.
0: It might probably. be, it's not right. Or do you think I could just stop the waffles and it might go backwards?
1: I, and, I can't and, say for sure. Yeah.
0: I just noticed, I saw my, I saw a person um, from a camera angle of lower and I recently, and I thought, oh, they look different from lower up than they do from my eye line,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And that's what made me ask you. If yeah. You're just do you see people? I wonder, do people look different to you than they do to other people because of the angle?
1: I mean, we'll never know.
0: No, we won't. But
1: like most of the time, like I, I don't like have meetings where I'm standing next to people looking up at them. Otherwise, I've had like a, I would have like a serious neck problem. How tall is the husband? But, um, uh, like five four.
0: Oh, he must be so happy he met you. He must feel like a giant, <laughs> right? Don't you, you know, think? Is your daughter uh, taller I mean- shorter, or shorter?
1: I mean, she's still for the moment shorter than I am. She'll probably be like five feet.
0: Okay, yeah. I saw Arden last night in a video. She's doing something for school and they had to record themselves dancing so they could, I don't know, it's not important. Uh, and she's in a video with a guy who's probably like one, and Arden's 5'7 and then there's another girl in the video who's one, and she looks like their child. Yeah. It's It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. real.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, Always front
1: row for the class picture.
0: Always. <laughs> there she is, right mm-hmm. there. Uh did you name your kid something different? And are all your siblings, do all your siblings have like more different names? Does your name mean something? There's a lot of questions in there.
1: Oh, I thought you wanted to say, like, did I name her Medtronic or something? I did not. Um Do you mean like like Jewish names?
0: Yeah, I mean, did do you do you like do all your brothers and sisters have Names that are more reminiscent of yours than of mine?
1: Yes. Yeah. So all of my siblings have first and middle names that are from the Old Testament, which is actually kind of interesting. I didn't really grow up in a religious family, um, but my daughter does not have an Old Testament name.
0: Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. So not particularly religious, but your parents went that route.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did they feel like they had to? Uh huh.
1: Really, no. I mean, mine is like not a super common name either. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess being the sixth out of seven, like you run out after a while. But, um, you know, it's still pretty unique.
0: Do th- do um, Jewish faith sometimes like the first letter has to match somebody else?
1: Yeah. So all of us are named for somebody. So I'm named after my mom's favorite aunt who didn't have my same English name. But thankfully, I don't have her English name. <laughs> <laughs> Her Yiddish name was Fagala, which um, means bird in Yiddish. Okay. And so that's how I got this name, which means bird in Hebrew.
0: Oh, you listen to this podcast, right? Yeah. How bad is my Yiddish?
1: Uh, I mean, like, what's the scale?
0: I don't whip it out often, but like, I yeah. know, I know some phrases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, is it cringeworthy when I say it? Or is No, it- no,
1: no, no. And I'm, I'm also not fluent. I think that's a whole other, okay. you know, show, but.
0: I gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, there are some of those words that I find delightful. So, yeah. actually, the the words you just said um, for bird, I thought it meant something different.
1: It, well, it can. I mean, oh. that's the thing.
0: It, it could just mean anything. <laughs> that's the thing
1: about language is that it gets, like, appropriated for other things. But
0: Excellent. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Okay. Um, your episode is going to be called Rainbow Connection.
1: I mean, I hoped it would.
0: Right, I mean, there's really, that's. All we had i mean that's fine <laughs> yeah i know i thought it was like tight i was like oh excellent that, that's gonna happen that's awesome all right uh would you hold on for one second for me i appreciate sure. you doing this absolutely thank yeah. you well first i want to thank support for coming on the show and sharing her story and being so chitty chatty with me i had a great time I also want to thank InPen from Medtronic Diabetes and remind you to go to inpentoday.com to learn more about that insulin pen that has all that functionality that you want. And let me thank our newest sponsor, Athletic Greens, makers of AG1. Head over now to athleticgreens.com forward slash to get started with AG1. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.